All right, good morning. Uh, at this time, go ahead and bring the chairs up. At this time, I want to invite our kids up to the front row here. Would you come up here and just hang out with me for a minute? Come on up here and just hang out. We're going to, so normally we have uh, uh, like what we call like a, what's oh, called a Kids in Christ's Kingdom or like a children's ministry that we do normally during the week here. You guys can sit on these chairs here facing me. I'm going to use these chairs as part of the, a part of our little, what I'm going to do here this morning. So just have, have a seat at the front row there. Um, I want you guys to be able to see this. So that's why I wanted you to come up here. Um, so normally we have a, uh, uh, like I said, children's ministry back there. But today is a fifth Sunday. And so instead of doing kick, we're going to do a little bit of a quick thing for you guys today. So you guys remember what these boxes were? What were the boxes for in kick? Go ahead. That's right. Okay, so so if you couldn't hear what she said, there we've used these boxes all for the last four weeks as uh, to cover up what we call mad props in our uh, children's ministry, and we use those props to tell the stories of uh, the Old Testament. And some there were some crazy things that happened in the Old Testament, and so we use some crazy props to tell the stories. So we had a lot of fun. So this is a little bit like that, um, but today we're not going to talk about the Old Testament. Today we're going to talk about something that happened that we, that we taught in the New Testament. Okay, so I have a question for you kids today. Okay, are you ready? This is a pretty easy question, and then we'll have a little bit of a pop quiz later. How many of you have ever driven a car? Hopefully no hands are being raised right now. <laughs> right, right? How many of you have parents that drive a car? Okay, very good. Now, I'll bet you, even though you don't drive a car, I'll bet you that you know what some of the road signs mean on the street, right? You probably notice some things. I mean, my two-year-old daughter, Kalia, knows that when the light turns green, she says, green means go, right? Green means go. She knows that. So if my two-year-old knows that, I'll bet you guys know what some of these street signs mean, okay? So we're going to take this quiz, and if you know what the sign means, just shout it out, okay? There's going to be some on the screen here, okay? All right. So here's the first sign. What does that mean? Stop. Stop. It's kind of easy, right? If you can read that, then it probably, it's probably pretty easy to tell what that means. Okay. So what does the stop sign mean? It means to stop, right? Now, how many of your parents actually stop at the stop sign? Oh, don't answer that. Don't answer that. Okay. Okay. Next question, right? What's this one say? Do not enter. So what does that mean? It means do not enter, right? It's probably a road that's blocked off that's dangerous because there's some construction going on or something like that. And it says, do not go this way. Do not enter. All right, now this next one's a little bit tougher, okay? Are you ready? All right, what's that one say? Yield. Okay. You don't know what yield means? Yeah, I know. Most of us drivers don't know what it means either. So, uh, so you do know what it means. Exactly. It means take a break. And let the other cars pass first before you get on. Make sure the way is straight before you go, okay? That's what yield means. And then finally, we have this sign. One way, exactly. It means you can only go the way the arrow is pointing, right? If you go the opposite direction, you're probably going to run into some cars, right? And maybe crash. So you want to stay on that one path, that one way. Okay, very good. Well, you know what? This sign actually reminds me of something that Jesus taught us in the Gospel of John. Okay, John chapter 14, 
verse 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, what Jesus is saying here is that he is the only way to get to God, right? That's what he's saying here. Now, let me show you what I mean, okay? I've got these three boxes up here that we've been using all month, okay? Can you guys see what this number says? One. What's this box say? Two. Two and three. Okay. Now, one of these boxes, you don't know which one it is. Hmm. One of these boxes has a really delicious treat, okay? And the other boxes have some really disgusting baby food. (laughs) Have you guys tried baby food before? I mean, you have when you were younger. You have. Have you ever tried what she eats? Yes, I have when I was little. Well, when you were little. You probably don't remember what it tastes like. If you taste it today, you might think, hmm, it's pretty disgusting. Some of them actually are probably pretty, pretty good. Yeah, she probably thought it was disgusting too. Yes, that's right. Okay, well, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have you vote for which box I should pull something, pull it, pull out of and eat. Okay, so with your, with your hands, show me which box you think you want me to eat out of. You eat out of number one? Number two? Okay, I, I see some hands for number two. All right, let's see. Oh, no. Okay. Let's see what's inside number two here. What do you guys think it is? It's, it's you think it's baby food? <laughs> You're right. Oh, gross. It's peas. You're absolutely right. Oh, man, why would you guys pick that box? Of all the boxes, you had three boxes to pick from. Talia, do you want to try some of this? That's right. No. Oh, look at that. Oh, that's kind of gross, right? Oh, that actually was not too bad. Okay. They know what they're doing with the baby food. Okay, so we had peas in that box. Okay, now what do you think about box number one? You try that one? Okay. All right. Are you serious? We got some more baby food. Oh, man. Okay, what's this one say? Can someone tell me? Ham. With gravy. It might be pretty good, right? Okay, let's give it a try. I shouldn't be doing this before I preach, right? This is probably not good. I'm going to have to eat some water, drink some water. Oh, man, does that look like ham to you? It is, I promise. We give those babies the ham. Okay, oh, man, this is a big bite. I don't know if I can do this. Okay, are you guys ready? You want to try it? No. Oh, okay, okay. Mmm. Okay, that one was pretty gross. Ooh. I need some water after that. You guys are really wonderful choice makers. You know that? You think so? Yeah, I told you that there was at least one box with a delicious treat. Do you think number three has a delicious treat? Let's check and see. I wouldn't lie to you, would I? Oh, what is that? You think that's pretty delicious? Well, if you're good during the service today, there might be some waiting for you in the kitchen after we're done, okay? All right, so 
Thank you for finally choosing the third box. I'm going to take a bite of this now. Mmm. That is so good. Mmm. I should not have eaten that before the service. Got some sugar. And these adults are going to love me after we're done. Oh, man, that would have been good. It probably would have been pretty cool, though, by the time we were done. That's a really good advertisement right there. Okay. So in this game, there was only one box with a delicious prize, right? There was only one box. What if someone had told you that box number one had a delicious prize? What would you say? I would say box number one. You, you would? What do you think? After you have seen it, does box number one have a delicious prize? No way. Dude, you're lying. That box does not have the delicious treat. Okay. But what if someone told you that box number two had the delicious treat now that you've seen what's inside? It's not as delicious as the delicious treat we saw, right? The peas were ah, kind of okay, but no. No way. There's still nothing good in there, okay? Now, what if someone told you that all three boxes had a delicious treat? Would that be right? Liar, liar, pants on fire. Bingo. It's not right to say that all three of them have a delicious treat, right? Only one had a delicious treat, and that was box number three. The other ones, not so much. Now, believe it or not, that's what kind of, that's what kind of shows us what uh, John 14, verse 6 is telling us here. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through believing in Jesus, okay? Some people might say you can get to heaven by, uh, uh, by believing in a different God or practicing a different religion, but that wouldn't be right. Some people say that, it's, that by treating people nice and doing good things is how you get to heaven too, right? But that wouldn't be totally right, would it? That would be wrong too. And some people say that you can do all of these things and follow all of the paths, and that still won't be right. Right? There's only one way. And that way, there's only one way to get to the delicious prize. And there's only one way to get eternal life in heaven with Jesus. And that's by knowing him. Okay? So here's a good way to look at this. We lose all of the signs, okay? If you want to live forever with God in heaven, then follow these signs. Stop running from God. Do not enter into sin. Yield your life to Jesus and choose the one way that leads to eternal life. Okay? All right, thank you for joining me this morning. You guys can go ahead and have a seat. We're going to clean these up. And Miss Julie Royce has some coloring pages for you and some, and, and some color pencils for you to color with later. Thank you, Mr. Jake. So grab some coloring pages and some doodling, and you guys can doodle, doodle that well. I think we can just finish with that, can't we, today? Thank you, Jake. All right. Uh, hit the source button twice, Tim, and then we'll, that'll get us back to our normal path of events this morning. Okay. Believe it or not, that's actually going to apply to today's sermon for you guys. So here we go. One more. There you go. All right.
Before we get started, let's pray, okay? Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this opportunity to, to dive into your word and to just see the truth that you are the only way, that Jesus is the only way to heaven. And getting to know him and having a personal relationship with him is our path to heaven. Father, we thank you for this truth. We thank you for what he's done for us, giving us that path and uh, giving us an opportunity to spend eternal life with you in your kingdom, the kingdom of God. We love you and we thank you for all that you do, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Okay. So, today we are going to wrap up our series in uh, the kingdom of God. And I, that is not the slide. We're going to wrap up our series of the kingdom of God. And we're actually going to finish up the series that Greg started several weeks ago in Second Peter. So you guys are going to get a two for today. That means we're here for twice the amount of time, right? Okay. Yeah, take my time. Yeah, right. Uh, so today what we're going to do, well, actually what we've been doing over the past, uh, several, past two weeks is we've been talking about this place called heaven or this place called the new heavens and the new earth that Peter brings up in Second Peter chapter 3. Peter mentioned that we should be waiting for, meaning we should have a desire for, a yearning for, looking forward to the new heavens and the new earth that Jesus is going to create. And we talked about what life is going to look like in that new earth, in that new heavens and the new earth, and how it's going to be a physical place. And even heaven itself is a physical place when we die. Because we don't get to the new heavens and the new earth until Jesus comes again on the day of the Lord when he comes to conquer the earth and judge the earth, right? That's what Peter mentions in Second Peter chapter 3. We're going to come back to that later today, but we're going to start in the book of Matthew for today's service, okay? So open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, starting in chapter 24. We've discussed what life will be like when believers, or when we die as believers, right? We've also talked about what life will be like when the church is resurrected and placed on the new earth. Remember last week we talked about how there will be mud in heaven, right? Remember that? Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, make sure you ask someone that was here last week to tell you about what that means. There will be mud in heaven. Okay, but today what we're going to talk about is, okay, I'm not there yet, so why am I still here? What am I supposed to be doing? Because what we're going to see today is that everything that happens in this life does have an impact for eternity. R.C. Sproul used to use the phrase, right now counts forever. And it is so true. We're going to see that today. We're going to discuss what we can be doing. No, no, what we should be doing, right? We should, what we should be doing right now in order to prepare for that life that's coming. My goal for today is to show you that what you do today truly will have an impact on your life after death and after Christ returns on the day of the Lord. Now, I'm not just talking about what Daniel 12 talks about, where he says, Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. Yes, understanding that is utterly important, and we will address that a little bit later today. But that's only part of what I'm going to cover this morning. What I'm getting at is, for the believer, how you live your life today, the things that you focus on and the things that you spend your time doing, 
Those things will prepare you for life in heaven and on the new earth. Think about it like, I'm going to say this loosely, but think about it like the ultimate retirement plan. Okay, now we're not going to heaven to relax. I mean, we will relax, but there's still going to be work to be done. We talked about that last week. Think about this like planning for your future, for eternity, forever, okay? God calls us first to believe, and then once we do believe, he calls us to a life of faithfulness, a life of faithfulness, and that's what we're going to focus on today. Now, what I want to do is take a look at what Jesus taught his disciples on the Mount of Olives here in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. The master teacher, the king, he gives us some practical steps to take while we wait for heaven and the coming day of the Lord. Okay, so our first, the first practical step that he gives us is watch expectantly. Watch expectantly. Okay, so in Matthew chapter 24, we're going to start in verse 36. And this is Jesus, again, teaching to his disciples. This is a very intimate setting where Jesus is preparing his disciples for the future and how to think about his return. Okay? So this is what he says in Matthew chapter 24, starting with verse 36. Again, this is Jesus teaching the disciples. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, meaning when Jesus will return, right? But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. For as were the days of Noah, so will the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this. That if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have let his house be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Now he starts talking in parables here, okay? Starting in verse 45, Jesus says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Then in verse 48, the contrast here. But if that wicked servant says to himself, my master is delayed and begins to beat his fellow servants and eats and drinks with drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour that he does not know and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So what Jesus is getting at here is that we need to be watching expectantly for his return. Remember back in Second Peter chapter 3, Peter talks about the scoffers that are scoffing about the delay of his return, about the delay that Jesus is, seems to be having, right? Or seems to be making here. 
And those scoffers and this wicked servant says, okay, I, he's not really coming. I can do whatever I want, right? For members of the church, especially leaders that are set over this master's household, these members of the church exhibit genuine faith when they remain faithful to their tasks despite the delay of Christ's return. In other words, if you remain faithful to what you are asked to do and to, and to uh, continue doing that, you want to be, as a good and faithful servant, you want to be caught doing what you were asked to do. At work, when your boss asks you to do something and then leaves for a while, you're not going to stop doing what you were doing because you don't know when he's going to come back. You want to keep doing the things that he asked you to do. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. This master who was set over the household, leaders of the church, even the church itself, should remain faithful to their tasks despite the delay of Christ's return. Those who abuse their authority in the master's absence, they reveal their unbelief in his promise and they'll be caught unaware of his coming and condemned to his severest condemnation and punishment. Imagine being caught, not doing what you were asked to do. What's your boss going to say? I can't trust you. You're fired. It's the same idea here that Jesus is talking about. He has asked us to do something. And we're going to talk about what that is here in a minute, okay? He's asked us to remain faithful to him. Now, I want to note something about the rewards of each of the servants. Notice in verse 47, Jesus talking about this uh, this faithful and wise servant. What does he say? In verse 47, Jesus says, Truly, I say to you, this master, he, he the master, will set him, this servant, over all of his, the master's, possessions. Think about that. If Jesus, who, and he is, he's talking about himself, the master. Jesus, the king. He's talking about himself here. He will set this faithful servant, wise and faithful servant, over all of his possessions. That's a pretty big deal. We're going to talk about what that means here in a little bit, but just remember that. Jesus says, I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. Now notice what happens to this wicked servant. In verse 50, it says, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour that he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and put him with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. To me, it's obvious that what, who Jesus is talking about here is unbelievers. Okay, these are not believers. These are unbelievers. Because what he's talking about is he'll be send, sending them to hell for their unbelief. Because they didn't believe his promises. Okay? Now, moving on to chapter 25, starting with verse 1. I want to make a comment here about these two chapters here in Matthew, Matthew 24 and 25. These chapters are intended to be read together, right? Jesus is providing a single teaching through these three parables. This, the, the breakup here of uh, where chapter 25 starts is not inspired. That was provided to us to help break apart the passages, right? So, ignore the chapter break. Because Jesus is providing one single teaching here with these three parables. Okay? 
So this is the second parable, the parable of the ten virgins. Okay, Jesus is continuing his discussion. So let's read, starting with, uh, in chapter 25, starting with verse 1. Jesus says, Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish, and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight there was a cry, Here is the bridegroom! Come out to meet him! Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, Since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So there's a little bit of contrast here. Instead of just watching expectantly, Jesus is expecting us to wait patiently. To wait patiently. There's a simple children's song that we sing that's a reminder of this passage. This little light of mine. Okay, come on, Kalia, help me out. I'm forgetting the words already. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. And then the last verse is, let it shine till Jesus comes. Let it shine till Jesus comes. That's all I'm going to say about this. Keep your light shining. Do not grow weary in your trust of him. Okay, that's what Jesus is teaching here. Remain faithful to him. Continue trusting in him. Rely on his promises. Again, that's what Peter is teaching us in 2 Peter chapter 3. Rely on his promises. Keep your light shining and feed yourself with the fuel of the word. Remain in him. Abide in him. Continue studying and reading his word. We will see that referenced again later today. Okay, But I just want to make that point. Is We need to wait patiently. So not only are we to watch expectantly, to be aware that he is coming again, we need to be caught doing what we're supposed to be doing, and then we need to be waiting patiently, continuously fueling ourselves with him, his word, and the spirit. And I want to spend the most time that we have today on this next parable. That's uh, starting in Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. While we wait, we are expected to work diligently. There are many who misinterpret the point of this parable that we're going to read. Okay? Some of you may already be aware of the point, but some of you may have viewed it in a different light. And so I hope today is to clear that up. Because remember, everything in Matthew 24 through 25, Jesus is talking about heaven. He is talking about his return and how we are expected to be living to remain faithful. Okay? So let's read chapter 25, starting with verse 14. Jesus says, For it, meaning heaven, for it will be like a man going on a journey, 
who called his servants and entrusted them to his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his own ability. And then he went away. He who received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with him. And he who had received the five talents came forward bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, notice these words. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he who also had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here, I have two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Now notice what happens in verse 24. He who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I, uh, and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will, be, will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This parable, I want to be clear, has absolutely nothing to do with building wealth. It does not have anything to do with building wealth. It has to do with what we are to be doing here, in this time, to prepare for heaven. Okay? The word talent that's used here is not a, a piece of money. Really, what talent means is a sum of weight. It is something worth a lot. So yes, if you were to trade it in for money, it would be worth something, and you could receive money. But this word talent is really something that's just heavy. It's a heavy weight. And quite honestly, we get our word, the English word talent, from this passage, from the Greek here that's used. And in our, term, in our language, a talent is something that we're good at. It's a gift. So what God has done, this man who went on the journey, he has given these servants gifts, right? It's not theirs. It's something that he gave them. And what he expected them to do was to go and invest them, reinvest them. For his purposes, not for the servants, 
but for his purposes. Right? Notice they came back and they gave him the prophet. They were the ones that gave the prophet. They didn't keep any of it. Okay? What they did was they went and they did what they were good at. And they reinvested for the kingdom, not for their own sake. Notice what the, uh, this, um, this, the last servant, the one who had uh, one talent. Notice what happened here. In verse 24, he who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here's the problem. That was a lie. The guy had no idea who his master was. He didn't understand. God is not a hard man, reaping where he does not sow, and gathering where he scatters no seed. So what this man did was he lied. He was, he just, he was, af- he was afraid because he did not fully know who his master was. The faithful servants, though, were commended and rewarded equally. In fact, the master's words to the two faithful servants were identical. Notice in verse 21 and verse 24. Verse 21, he says, His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. What were they honored for? They were honored for their faithfulness. Not based on the size of the profit that was received. They were honored for their faithfulness. And that's precisely how scripture describes the judgment seat of Christ. Paul teaches in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 that each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. Not according to the results. Also notice, the prophets here, like I said earlier, these prophets are given to the master. They are not kept. The servants do not keep them. Colossians chapter 3, verses 23 through 24, Paul teaches us, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord. Christ. What I take from here, from this parable, is that we who are still here before we die or before the coming of the day of the Lord, we have an opportunity to learn about what God has gifted us with. What has God gifted you with? He made each and every one of you, and He made you with specific gifts and talents and capabilities. And I, it's our responsibility to figure out what those are and put them to use for him now. Put them to use for him, for the kingdom that's coming. Now that doesn't mean that every one of you is expected to be a preacher in a pulpit, right? It just means work as if you're working for God. Do all of the things that you're doing. What does the Colossians say? Whatever you do, work Heartily, as for the Lord, and not for men. You'll be amazed as you do your work, 
And as you have your focus on Jesus and your focus on the coming kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth, your perspective will, uh, could, will not be avoidable. In your workplace, in your schools, where you're at, if you're doing everything as if you're doing it for God, it will be noticed. Now, who receives glory for that? Not me, not you, God. People come to know him through your work. You're investing into the kingdom now. That's what Jesus is teaching us here in Matthew 25. Invest yourself into the kingdom. Learn about what he has given you to do. Learn about the capabilities and skill sets that you have. Because I believe, based on what we've talked about the last two weeks, we talked about this principle of continuity. How we will be the same person in heaven. Sin removed, the curse removed, but you will still have your talents and gifts abilities. Hone them now so they can be put to work on the new earth. Let me give you an example. This is just an imagination I have, okay? As an aerospace engineer, I can see myself building spaceships in, without the curse. So we won't have any problems, right? Because we'll have all of eternity to figure out the right way to get there, right? I can see myself doing that, okay? That's, I don't know. But think about it like that. Without the curse, we will be working together perfectly, in unison, in harmony. And we'll be doing it for the glory of God, not for us. Why are we going to space now? To make sure that we can survive. I wonder why we would go to space in, in the future, in the new earth. I'm, I'm just using that as an example, okay? But there's something there. And if, even if it's so that people come to know who Jesus is through the work that I do now in my workplace, that's enough. That's enough. God will be glorified through your work. So work heartily for him. Now let's talk about this inheritance that Paul talks about that we will receive as a reward. We mentioned some of these rewards earlier, right? Uh, Matthew 24, verse 47 Truly I say to you, he will set him over all of his possessions. Matthew 25, verse 21. Jesus says, his master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. What is he talking about? What is he talking about? We, newsflash, we will reign with Christ. Revelation 22, verse 5. We will reign with Christ. Now remember, remember, I can't say remember. Remember, we will not be under the curse. So the reign will be perfect. We think of kingdoms now, we go, Ee! but the kingdom of God, there will be no curse. We talked about that last week. We will reign with Christ. Where am I getting this from? Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 10. The prophet says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humbled and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Well, that sounds familiar. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off, and he shall speak peace to the nations, and his rule shall be from sea to sea. 
and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, has that happened yet? No. The disciples knew who Jesus was because of that passage. He came into the city on a colt, on a foal. I don't know what I'm saying. The foal of a donkey on a colt, right? They were expecting Jesus to conquer Rome because that who had, who's, who had control, that's who had control over Israel at the time. How disappointed do you think they were when he went to the cross? There's more that's coming. He's fulfilled a portion of it. It's going to be fulfilled. And Greg talks about the already and the not, and the not yet. It's already been fulfilled because of his resurrection from the grave. It's already been fulfilled. We just haven't fully realized it yet. And his rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 2 says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, meaning Jesus. Now listen to this. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. What's Jesus the heir of? All things. Did he leave anything out? No, it's everything. All things. The earth. Through whom also he created the world. Jesus teaches in Matthew 5, verse 5. This is the Beatitudes in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, verse 5. Jesus says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. How has that happened yet? No, but it will. I got to keep moving. Romans 8, verses 16 through 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 2 through 3. Paul teaches, and this is like, Paul's like theology 101 right here. He's like, hello. Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world, meaning rule the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you incompetent to try, tr to try trivial cases? Do you not know that we are to judge angels? How much more then matters pertaining to this life? In 2, Peter, or I'm sorry, in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, Paul teaches, if we endure, we will also reign with him. And then again, I mentioned earlier in Revelation chapter 22, verse 5, and they will reign forever and ever. We will reign with Christ. He will set us over much, but we must remain faithful. Remain faithful. Now, in closing, I want us to return to 2 Peter chapter 3. So turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. I told you we were going to end the series in 2 Peter 2. 2 Peter also. We're not going back to chapter 2. We're going we're gonna to finish in chapter 3. As you're turning there, these parables that I talked about, these three parables, they seem completely different on the surface. One parable shows the folly of the thinking that the Lord will not return soon. The next shows the folly of presuming that he will come soon. And the third shows the importance of remaining faithful regardless of when he returns. 
But there are clear similarities that tie these parables together. and All three speak of the inevitability of the Lord's return and the impending judgment. And that's what Peter is keying in on in Second Peter chapter 3. So now that we've officially taken like two, three weeks break from Second Peter, we're going to come back. And we're going to finish with verses 14 through 18. Allow me to read them to you. And I'll have them on the screen for you. They are one, one is already there. Okay. Peter says in verse 14, Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, be diligent, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people, and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So there's a few things that we note here. Peter says to remain diligent. To be diligent. That's the first thing he says, right? Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Sounds familiar. Sounds just like what Jesus was teaching in Matthew 24 through 25. We also need to count our Lord's patience in returning as an opportunity for salvation. If you're already a believer, this is an opportunity for you to grow in your salvation to become sanctified, to work, and to find out the things that God has given you the ability to do so that you can do them for him now because you'll be doing them for him later, right? But it's also an opportunity for salvation for those of us who don't believe. God is patient and kind. He doesn't have to wait, but he chooses to. We also need to fight temptations to lose focus. To not fall prey to the error of lawless people and lose our stability. Remain focused. And the way to do this is verse 18. To, we need to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We need to be immersing ourselves with scripture. And to be listening to solid teaching. To hear out the lies. And to be focusing on solid teaching. And also remain in community. We're learning from one another. We need to be in community with believers. And ultimately, we need to get to know the king. We need to get to know who he is. Because as we come to know him, we will see his love for us. And how much he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. Now, I want to take a quick moment just to talk, briefly talk about something, and then we'll finish with this. Okay, this is great. I'm looking forward to this day, but what if I'm dealing with something that I just can't quite bear? Or I feel like I'm dealing with something that's just really hurting me. I'm suffering. Paul talk, talked about, remember last week, we talked about how Paul said that, to, that it is better for us to be with Christ than here on this earth, right? For it is better. It'll be far better in heaven. Why not just go there now? If I'm suffering now, why not just go there now? 
In John chapter 9, Jesus teaches of a man who was born with blindness. It doesn't teach of a man. He actually found one. <laughs> right? The disciples were walking along and they found a blind man who had been blind from birth. Presumably this guy was 40 years old. Okay, he's been blind from birth. And for those of you who know the story, there was a discussion about whether or not he had been a sinner or that his parents had sinned or things like that. And Jesus said, no. This man is blind in order for God to be glorified. For me to be glorified. And so what does he do? Right? There's a whole process that he tells the man to do, but ultimately Jesus heals the man's blindness. Right? He heals the man's blindness. And after all, a whole mess of going back and forth, the guy finally comes to the point of faith. This guy who was blind. In verse 35 of John chapter 9, Jesus said, or, and this is Luke record, or John recording, Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, meaning this man who was blind, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? Verse 36, this man answered, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believed. Or, I'm sorry, he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. So this guy, he's dead. He died, right? This happened a long time ago. How long has he been with sight? Way longer than just 40 years. He's been with his sight for the last 2,000 plus years. How do you think he looks at those 40 years that he was blind? That was nothing. That went quickly. Okay. Blindness is one thing. I understand there are so many other things that we suffer with. Okay. Blindness is a simple thing to look at. I get it. But it makes a point. He's been dead for 2,000 years, but he came to faith. He's had sight for those last 2,000 plus years. Your suffering today will make you enjoy heaven that much better. You will enjoy heaven so much more than those who do not suffer. So, in a strange way, count your suffering as a blessing. And do not be tempted to think that God doesn't understand your suffering. Oh, it, it was easy for Jesus to go to the cross. Oh, it was it was easy because he knew he was gonna be he was gonna resurrect he was gonna raise again. He knew that when he died he was gonna come back. It was easy. Nothing could be further from the truth. It was not easy. Jesus, having a perfect relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, a perfect relationship for all of eternity, was stripped of that on the cross. Matthew 27, verse 46. Jesus says the words on the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
The whole time Jesus was here on the earth, before that, what did he call God? Father. Father. And on the cross, he couldn't call him that. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What did he use when he did raise from the grave? What did he use to show who he was to his disciples? He said, look at my hands. Look at my feet. Notice the scars. Thomas was able to put his fingers in them. That was his resurrected body. Second Corinthians chapter five. Verse twenty one, Paul says, For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, God Almighty, the creator of the universe who has been perfect from eternity past. Put on imperfection. He has the scars to prove it. For all of eternity, he has the scars to prove it. And yet, we get to go to heaven and be perfect. We are not worthy. For what Jesus has done. But he says we are. Because our faith is counted to us as righteousness. If you're here today. And you don't know Jesus. And you haven't put your faith in him. Put your trust in him. Hear these words from Paul. Romans chapter 10 verses 9 through 13. Paul teaches. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified. And with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says. Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. Bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, will be saved. So watch expectantly, wait patiently, work diligently, and get to know your king. He's your king. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just thank you so much for this opportunity to get into your word and just to to learn from you. Oh my goodness, we have so much to look forward to. Uh, It's coming when when you do come. And you return. Father, help us to be diligent to continue working for you. To not lose our focus, but to continue to have patience, to keep our eyes on you, and to continue to keep our light shining. Help us to let our help us to keep our lights shining. Father, I pray for those who are not with us today, that are at home for any of a number of reasons, and I have I just uh, ask that you would just be with them today. Wrap your arms around them that they would feel comfort and know that you're near. And Father, help us to continue to have this perspective of, of the, the, the life that's coming, our, our life in heaven and then our life in the new heavens and the new earth as it gives us hope for today. 
and gives us peace for today as we look forward to tomorrow. Father, we thank you for all that you do and we thank you most importantly for your son who came to die so that we could spend life with you. In your name I pray, Lord Jesus. Amen.